Go ahead and take your seats and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Well, I put out the fleece. I said, Lord, if you can send an ice storm in the middle of April, surely you can send another one at the end of May. So if you really, really don't want me to preach this message. No, I'm just kidding. A couple of months ago, Pastor Ian and I uh, were sitting down knowing that uh, he was going to be away in Romania and he was going to be in the, the beginning of a mini-series, as you may remember, on uh, relationships, starting off with, with marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, we thought, what, what would be helpful and useful for me to speak on right there beside those messages on marriage? And, and both of us thought that it would be a good thing to preach on what the Bible says about singleness. So that's our topic this morning. Singleness isn't something that's often preached on. We often hear far more about marriage, you know, husbands and wives and their roles and responsibilities than we we do about what the Bible has to say to those who are unmarried and to those who are married about those who are unmarried. I think part of the reason, there's probably a few reasons for this, but part of the reason is that this can be an extremely sensitive topic. It can be extremely sensitive for those who are married when we look at certain issues that come up under the topic of singleness, and for sure it can be extremely sensitive and weighty to some of those who are not married. I know this firsthand. And and not that a preacher or, or anyone else for that matter needs to have personally experienced something in order to proclaim what God's word has to say about it. Uh, it may be helpful for some of you to know that Polly and I were married just a few weeks after my 31st birthday might be helpful for some of you to know that I've already had my 31st birthday. <laughs> Everyone's always surprised at my age. Age is relative, right? Get, getting married at 31 for some may, may sound just about right. Maybe just average, just about the right age. For others, it, it might sound a, a bit young. Maybe you're thinking, 31, psh, just wait till you're my age. Or, or for others, 31 maybe seems a little bit old might seem ancient if you were married like Pastor Ian and Sarah. I think, I think they were like 14 when they got married. <laughs> I, was th- I was thinking that this week. They celebrated 15 years of, of marriage on Friday. Praise God. So yeah, age, age is a relative thing. But, but for me, uh, being married at 31, I, I was old enough to have experienced for some time what it's like to really, really want to be married. Not that all single people want that, by the way. We're going to see that this morning. But, but I really wanted to be married, and yet I was seeing my friends and some of my family get married and, and finding the companion in life, and, and I was still waiting, waiting to find mine. So I understand the sensitivity of this topic. And even in understanding the sensitivity of it, of it I, I know that this morning I, I may um, accidentally say something in a, in a certain way that conveys something that I don't really actually mean if I was given the chance to, to re-say it a different way. I, I, I might not say something that should be said. I, I might imply all when really it's some. You know what I mean? I might not touch on all the angles of, of something that's not really so black and white. There's been some jokes leading up to this message even the first time it was supposed to be preached, that the, the married people could just take the morning off. And I know that you, as well as I know, that that's ridiculous. 
Every single one of us in this room needs to think biblically about singleness, whether we're married or not. I think that there's perhaps maybe no other area in life where people feel freer to offer advice and an opinion, often unsolicited, than in the areas of singleness and dating and marriage. So even if you're married this morning, listen up. Listen up so that you can properly care for your brothers and sisters in this room who are unmarried. And so that all of us can be ready. You know, I was just thinking, even this morning, there's 200, right, soon-to-be men and women out in that Harvest Kids hallway. And we need to be able to teach them what does the Bible say, not only about marriage, but also about singleness. So we're going to look this morning at, at three questions from the perspective of the unmarried to help us all understand singleness for the glory of God. Question number one, must I pursue marriage? Must I pursue marriage is the first question we're going to look at, and then we're going to look at should I pursue marriage? And then if so, number three, with whom should I pursue marriage? All right, so that's where we're going. First question, must I pursue marriage? And from this question comes a whole bunch of, of subset questions, right? Like, is everyone meant? Is everyone designed by God for marriage? Is, is being a husband part and parcel to what it is to be a man in God's eyes? Or is, is being a woman part and parcel, you know, like together equal with being a woman in God's eyes? Is, is marriage good and singleness bad? Is, is marriage right and singleness wrong? And the biblical answer to these questions might be more obvious to some than it is to others, but it's important that we consider this question first because it has everything to do with life's purpose and who God has created each and every one of us to be. And that's vitally important whether we're talking about marriage or singleness, that we all understand what is life's greatest purpose and who has God created each and every one of us to be. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But first, let's look at the Word of God, Matthew 19. You may recall this is the same passage Pastor Ian began looking at marriage with, and now we're going to begin here to look at singleness, and then we're going to spend most of our time this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In Matthew 19, the Pharisees, they come to Jesus to test him, right? They want to trick him as they've tried to do. And they ask him about divorce. And they, they say, is it right for, is it lawful to di- divorce one's wife for any cause? And they were trying to trick him no matter how he answered. And obviously, Jesus can never be tricked. He always answers with profound wisdom. And he gives them their answer. And in verse 9, he says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. See, divorce was rampant in this time. People were just getting divorced for, for any little reason and, and justifying it, writing a certificate of divorce because Moses allowed them to because of their sin. And Jesus comes along and, and he says, marriage is for life. To death do us part. Let no man separate what God has joined together. And so in verse 10, the disciples, they say to him, to say to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. If if marriage is this binding, 
then maybe it's better to just remain single. And Jesus probably surprises them in his response in verse 11. He says, yeah, you know what? Maybe you're right. And Jesus, look what he says in verse 11. It says, he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those to whom, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have made who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Here Jesus ties together sexual intimacy and marriage. And he shows that the two are are inseparable. And there, there are some who have to abstain from sexual activity and therefore marriage because they've been made eunuchs by God. They're not able to be married. Some, this is a result of what men have done to them. And then others make this decision for themselves. Um, I don't believe in a physical sense at all, although the first two instances probably are physical. This third instance of eunuchs here is, is meant to describe the person who abstains from sexual intimacy and therefore abstains from marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Here Jesus affirms that both singleness and marriage have a design by God for his glory. Paul also affirms this in his first letter to the Corinthians. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians we see that the Apostle Paul is responding uh, by letter to the Corinthian church, at least in part to some questions that they've asked him. And so he writes to them to say about the things in which you asked about. And, and marriage is one of them. You see in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and he, he goes on from there. We, we're not going to be able to read the whole chapter this morning. I'm going to touch on uh, bits and pieces from chapter 7. Sometimes we're going to skip ahead and, and sometimes we're going to go back. But look at uh, verse 7, would you? Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am. So what's he talking about? Well, we'll see in verse 8. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one from one of another. And then look at verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So that's what he meant in verse 7. It, it's, he wishes... <laughs> Not by command, but by his desire that all were able to be single, just like him. But he acknowledges as well that this isn't for everybody. This is only for some. He says singleness is good, just as marriage is good. Scripture doesn't exalt one over the other. And listen, so we mustn't either. If you're not married this morning, singleness isn't a lesser calling. You're not experiencing God's second best. You're, you're not half of some future whole. If you're someone who's talking to an unmarried person, listen, if you treat your brothers and sisters as though singleness is God's plan B for their life, you're not only discouraging them, you're going against the very word of God. And we would, we would never, hopefully, come right out and, and purposely discourage someone by, 
by telling them that singleness is God's plan B for their life, but really we need to think maybe harder sometimes about the things that we say that may convey that message. Often we, we convey the message that all unmarried people need to be married as though this was the expectation for them when it's not really God's expectation for everybody. It's, it's not helpful to make singleness and marriage the topic of every single conversation with single people. It's not helpful for them. You know what you're doing when you do this? You're, you're acting as though that person's identity is rooted and grounded in their marital status when it's not. You're, you're saying without saying it that, that for them marriage is their savior, not Jesus. And some singles, not, not all singles, but some singles struggle with this very thing. They're having their identity wrapped up in their singleness. They, they struggle with this enough on their own without others further promoting any wrong thinking about singleness and marriage. Ultimately, who any one of us is is not defined by whether we're married or single. Rather, we are primarily defined by whether or not we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who we are in God's eyes is ultimately seen, first and foremost, in whether or not we are a blood-bought child of God. Whether our sins have been washed away, whether we have the hope of eternal life, or we're remaining in darkness. And for many who are not married, marriage equals happiness, and single equals unhappiness. But listen, the, the true satisfaction and the deepest longing of every heart is only met in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a child of the King? Do you belong in His kingdom? Are you drawing others to be part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Are you living for His sake that is the core of your identity look at verses 32 through 35 with me Paul says to the Corinthians I want you to be free from anxieties and he plays off this idea of anxiety he says the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord how to please the Lord but the married man is anxious about Worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's focus for those who are unmarried is their opportunity to serve the Lord without the constraints and the responsibilities and the obligations of marriage. And he he says this is is a great opportunity you have if if you're not married that those who are, are married don't have. This was Paul's focus in singleness just as it was Jesus' focus in singleness, just as it was John the Baptist's focus in his singleness, just as it was the prophetess Anna. You remember Anna when Jesus was born? We, we read about Anna. It says 
She was a widow for many decades, constantly praying and fasting at the temple and proclaiming the redemption found in Christ with all her years on this earth. Early church history, later church history, is replete with example after example of those who chose not to be married in order to specifically focus on their work for the kingdom of God. They saw their singleness as an opportunity to serve the Lord in a unique way. I think of the Ethiopian, you know, speaking of eunuchs, right? I think of the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember Paul, or not Paul, Philip met with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, and the, the eunuch was on his way back to Ethiopia, and he was reading from Isaiah 53, and, and he was reading about the suffering Savior, the, the servant of God, and he, he says to Philip, he says, who, who is this that I'm reading about? Is he, is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? And Philip, from that text, it says, explain to him about Jesus and the way of salvation, and the, the eunuch was baptized. He was saved right then and there. And I just wonder, maybe as he got back in his chariot and he was returning to Ethiopia, if he just continued reading from where he was, just three chapters later, he would have got to Isaiah chapter 56. And I don't know how this man became a eunuch and whether or not he was discouraged or struggling in any way with the idea of not being married. But look what, listen to what it says in Isaiah 56 and verse 4. It says, For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, verse 5, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What a promise from the Lord, even for those who are not married. There's a greater hope. There's a greater hope. So the answer to this question, must I pursue marriage, is no. It's not a must. It's not a given that each and every person needs to pursue marriage. There's good and godly reasons, I hope you're seeing, to not pursue marriage. There's also some bad reasons to not pursue marriage. These would include not wanting to disrupt my ways, or my time. It's not a good reason to remain unmarried. Another bad reason to remain unmarried is that no one else is good enough to marry me. No one's godly enough, or wise enough, or good-looking enough. But, but listen, if your reason for remaining single is to serve the Lord, then that's a, a good and, and noble reason, Paul says. Devoted service to the Lord and His kingdom. Concentrated work in a specific ministry, maybe to the local community or in foreign missions, are good reasons in the Lord's eyes to remain unmarried. Another good reason would be that you're waiting patiently on the Lord for the person that He will provide for you to marry. That's a good reason to wait. Or maybe I'm not yet the person who is ready to be married. That's also a good reason to not be married yet. And these last two, they're kind of um, shifting into our second question this morning. Should I pursue marriage? Should I pursue marriage? If you're familiar at all with 1 Corinthians 
chapter 7, or if you were to go on and, and read this, this chapter in its entirety, it, it would seem that Paul is strongly in favor of singleness over marriage for everybody. Actually, two times he needs to qualify his, his leaning toward singleness. Look at verse 6. He says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. And then he goes on to say what he says in verse 7. Also in verse 25, Concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by the Lord's, who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He says it's not a command, and yet he, he is promoting singleness as the preferable option, at least in this case, at least to this people at this time in this letter. And yet, lest anyone get the wrong idea, he's not commanding it. He says, if you disagree with me, you're, you're not sinning. Verse 28, he says, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. And then look down at verse 36. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. So again, Paul is presenting to us here in God's word that both singleness and marriage are good Neither is exalted or, or right and the other wrong. The key, in verse 36, let him do as he wishes. It's really up to you. Paul just says, I want you to make a thoughtful decision. I want you to be well informed. I want you to think over this carefully. He says, if you remain single, you have... A great opportunity to, to further service for the Lord, to a unique service. And we get a hint in verse 26 about what may be influencing Paul's thinking in this. In verse 26, I think he says, I think in view of the present distress, and that's key, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So he's telling the married people, stay married. It's never good to just unmarry. But if you're single, I think it's good for you in view of what's going on to stay single. And, and we're not sure exactly what he's referring to here. There's some uh, differences among the biblical scholars. Some, some believe it, it is a specific issue going on in Corinth, that, that place at that time. Others think maybe it's broader than that. Maybe it's the circumstances in the Roman Empire. Maybe it's the intense persecution that the Christians are going through at this time. Maybe, it's, maybe it is an ever-going um, circumstance for Christians, all, all the way up into including today, that, that Christians globally for all time need to really think seriously about the option to remain single. I'm not sure exactly which one Paul is focusing on here. Whatever his reasons for urging his reader to think long and hard about singleness and marriage. Whatever it is, what keeps coming through loud and clear is that both are good. And I want that to come through loud and clear this morning. Both are good. Singleness is a good option and marriage is a good option as well. And in some cases, Paul says marriage is the better option. In fact, if we consider what Jesus said and what, what Paul said about how this is only for those who can receive it and, and how 
Each person has received their own gift. And if we really just take a step back and, and allow our theology to be, um, I don't want to say influenced, but, but demonstrated maybe would be the right word, in the world around us, what we see is, is most people throughout history do desire to be married. More often than not, men and women desire to pursue marriage. And Paul says this, this is the better option, especially in the cases where there's a danger of sexual immorality. Again, it can't be overlooked how both of these primary passages that we're looking at this morning, Matthew 19, Jesus' words, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's words, inspired by the Lord, they both put sexual intimacy and marriage together. In verse 9, chapter 7, Paul says, If they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Different people are wired differently. And here God's word says that if your longing for a physical relationship is so strong that your desires are metaphorically inflamed, then guess what? You don't have the gift of singleness. Pursue marriage. If you understand that marriage is not absolutely required and that singleness is good too, but still you really do want to pursue marriage, then you should pursue it. Not foolishly. You know, if your passions are feeling inflamed, that's not ever an excuse to rush into marriage in order to satisfy those desires. We, we, we're still obligated to maintain self-control and to depend on the Spirit to help us against any, any lust that is obviously not honoring to the Lord. We also need to say something here about idolatry. If you, if you come to the place where you believe you should get married and you want to get married, you need to beware of, of treating marriage as an idol in your heart. An idol is when we treat something as God that, that is not God. And, and if we're not careful in, in one singleness, you could desire marriage and, and wrongly turn it into a pursuit of what your heart deems to be of highest value. And marriage is not of highest value. Marriage is not the mission, right? Jesus didn't say, go therefore unto all the earth and get people married and behold, I will be with you. No. He says, go make disciples. That's the mission. Discipleship is the mission. Knowing Jesus and making Jesus known is the mission. God's kingdom is of highest value, not marriage. We always have to remember that. And just as Pastor Ian said, Marriage prioritized accordingly serves to magnify the king and his kingdom. That is the purpose of marriage. To put Jesus Christ on display. So when you're thinking about the answer to this question, should I pursue marriage? You need to make sure. You need to make sure that you have a biblical understanding of what marriage is. What is it for? It's for exalting Jesus Christ. It's, it's for making the gospel known in, into the watching world. It's a lifelong commitment. It's extending, extending, giving love 
and not focusing on receiving love. When you have an understanding, a correct understanding of what marriage is, only then should you proceed and pursue marriage. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you say, I want to get married, this should be what you're saying you want to do. I want to find a partner with whom we can glorify the Lord together with all of our life. Should you pursue marriage if you're single? Well, do you have a proper understanding of marriage? And is this what you want? Then the answer is yes. Now, this chapter has, like I said at the beginning, um, many sensitive, weighty issues in it that we do need to address. I mean, one question is, what, what if I've been married before and I am unmarried now? Should I pursue marriage again? And the answer to that question is, it, it depends. It depends. There's two categories that people can fall into if they've been married before and aren't now, right? One is your spouse has died and the other is divorce. So let's treat first uh, those whose spouse has died. Look at the very end of this chapter, verse 39. After all that Paul has said about singleness and marriage, he says in verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies... She is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remained as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So Paul says, for someone whose spouse has has died, you are free, free to remarry. Now, what about those who have been divorced? And for some, this... This becomes not a question of should I pursue marriage, but may I pursue marriage? Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. So he's reaching back to what Jesus taught during his earthly ministry. The wife should not separate from her husband. And don't get uh, caught up on that word separate there. It's the exact same word that's translated divorced. And we can see that in verse 11. But if she does, she should remain unmarried. So if she should become unmarried to her husband, she should remain that way or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So it applies both ways. The exception here being what Jesus said in Matthew 19. If, if the spouse has been unfaithful and there's been adultery in the marriage. So that's, if your spouse has divorced, sorry, if you've divorced your spouse, God's word is, is clear, except for sexual immorality, you're to remain unmarried or remarry your spouse. Now, what if your spouse divorced you? Well, Paul anticipates that as well. In verse 12, he says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. And all that means is this isn't something Jesus specifically talked about in his earthly ministry. It doesn't mean that the Spirit of the Lord didn't inspire this writing. It says, If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever 
and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, divorces, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. They're no longer bound to the marriage covenant. That, that means free to remarry. If, if your spouse divorces you, free to remarry. And I know that um, there's a lot here, and again, this, this is weighty. So just maybe by way of summary, we will we'll sum this up, and then we'll say a very important word just at the end of this summary. If, if you're single, and you desire to serve the Lord without the added obligations of marriage, and you're fine to not be married, then remaining single is a good option. If you've never been married and you want to be, then you're free to pursue marriage. If you've never been married and you really, really want to be, then you ought to pursue marriage. If you were married and your spouse has died, you're free to decide either way. If you, as a follower of Christ, have been left by your spouse, you are free to pursue marriage. And if you, as a follower of Christ, left your spouse for any reason other than he or she committed adultery, you are commanded to remain unmarried or remarry your spouse. Now, there's layers of complexity, especially in this last one, that don't allow us to go against God's word. We would never want to do that. But, but in thinking through how to correctly apply Scripture to each and every personal specific situation, oftentimes the elders need to offer great uh, insight and help with you along the way. I'll say that. All right, so that's should I pursue marriage. Must I pursue marriage? Should I pursue marriage? And finally, if so, with whom should I pursue marriage? The world has all sorts of ideas about how to answer this question, doesn't it? You know, the, the, the world says you're looking for Mr. Or, or Mrs. or Miss Wright. Physical attraction at the top of the list, romantic feelings, sexual chemistry. Maybe maintaining some level of personal autonomy. You know, what would make me most happy? Really, overall, the world's view of finding a spouse is entirely selfish. And the word of God's view is the complete opposite. For Christians, the, the question, with whom should I pursue marriage? Two explicit instructions are given for us in God's word to, to pay close attention to. The first is actually for all people of all time. Throughout the Old Testament, in Jesus' teachings in the Gospel, and throughout the entire rest of the New Testament, we see in the Word of God that marriage is between one man and one woman. If you're a man, you're looking for a woman. If you're a woman, you're looking for a man. That's number one. Number two, what we see in our text this morning, we've already read, we'll look again in verse 39, is that Christians are to marry other Christians. Look at verse 39. It says, in the context of the widow, a wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives. But if her husband dies, 
She's free to be married to whom she wishes. And I think it's implied there, provided they want to marry you. <laughs> can you imagine? Just, hey, you can marry whoever you want. <laughs> but only in the Lord, he says. Only in the Lord. And this is parallel to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that says don't, don't be unequally yoked. Not specific to marriage there, but it certainly applies. Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are commanded to marry only other Christians. That's it. That's the biblical criteria for who to look for in a spouse. Are they of the opposite sex? And are they also a follower of Jesus? Now, some of you are Christians, and I understand that your spouse is not, and perhaps uh, that means you were saved after getting married. Perhaps that means you married an unbeliever as a believer. I I just want to say to you this morning, that that doesn't mean your marriage is is somehow doomed. It doesn't mean your marriage is illegitimate. It doesn't mean you can't have happiness in your marriage. But the ideal... And that's why it's a command in God's word. Is that one believer is to marry only another believer. And the reason is because of the common mission. The common purpose of marriage. See, if, if, if we understand that the purpose of marriage is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, to live not for myself or even ourselves, but for the Lord, that's really, really, really hard to do with somebody who doesn't have a relationship, a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We, marrying a believer is also not always as simple as it might sound. See, when, when you're single and you're looking for a spouse and you, you know that you, you're, you need to be looking within the household of, of faith, you need to be looking for someone who is truly sincerely pursuing the Lord. Someone whose life is showing evidence continually of salvation. It's it's not enough for someone to just say, I'm a Christian. Declaring myself something doesn't make it true, right? You have to be so careful. This is a lifelong union we're talking about. Has this person truly put their trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Does this person see themselves as a sinner in need of mercy? Does this person believe that apart from the salvation offered from Jesus Christ, that they will never enter into the presence of God with joy for all eternity? Does this person love Jesus? Is it clearly seen in their life that they have a genuine love, affection, obedience for the Lord Jesus Christ? You know what that means? It means mere attendance on Sunday mornings at church also isn't enough. I have to say these things because too many times, too many times we've, we've seen a believer marry Someone that they thought was a believer only to find out later that they weren't. Is there godly character 
all week long, not, not just Sunday mornings? Is this person that you're pursuing glorifying the Lord with their approach to life? Do they see the world through the lens of God's word? Are they making decisions about their time and their money and their energy based on what would bring honor and glory to the Lord? And I know this happens in varying degrees and people are all growing. Nobody has to be the most mature person or else none of us would be married. But there has to be evidence there. And listen, there's, there's another way. See this question on the screen, with whom should I pursue marriage? I, I meant that w- with a double meaning, and here's how. Of course we mean, you know, potential spouse, with whom. But do you know what else? This question, how else we could answer this question, with whom should I pursue marriage? Who should I bring alongside of me to help me in my pursuit of marriage? And the answer is your church family. Listen, if you're the only one who sees the godly character and the, and the evidences of true Christian faith in your potential spouse, while other people who love you and love the Lord are telling you otherwise, you need to take great warning. Finding the one, finding Mr. or Miss Right, that starts here. Someone can be a lot of things, but they must first be a follower of Jesus Christ if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And you want to pursue marriage with them. That is the biblical criteria. Now there's some extra biblical criteria as well that we need to talk about. like Things like companion and, and chemistry that must be discerned. Physical attraction is obviously important to me. And I think it should be important to you as well. It's just not... It's not the top priority, especially in God's eyes. And I have to say this, and, and if some of you realized I was preaching on singleness this morning, maybe you brought your tomatoes for this very moment. <laughs> some, everybody say this, not all without exception, but some of you who are single, the reason that you're still unmarried is because you're being too picky. It's true, you need to examine, some of you, not all of you, need to examine your own heart in this way. Maybe you're looking for a, a perfect person, a perfect lifestyle, even, even perfect godliness. Polly and I knew someone who, who wasn't getting married because we, we just think that nobody could measure up to her dad. And that's not fair. Joking aside, listen, I know some of you desire to be married. And I know it can be very hard. I I empathize with you and and I know personally what it's like to be in your shoes. I I hope this this morning looking at God's word has been encouraging to you and I I hope if you take just one thing from this message and that that would be that your life's purpose is to know Christ and to get to know Him better and to help others get to know Him. And if marriage is part of that, wonderful. And if not, wonderful too. And if you're pursuing a spouse, I I just want to leave you with just a few considerations in your pursuit. And the first is the all-too-familiar one that is often even just cast aside as cliche, but it's not cliche You need to pray unceasingly. 
You need to pray unceasingly. And maybe, maybe it's not exactly what you think you need to be praying unceasingly about. First and foremost, you need to pray that the Lord would exalt himself in your heart and help you to keep him as your highest priority. That needs to be your prayer as a single person. You need to pray that, that God would help you serve him well with the time that you have being unmarried. Ask the Lord daily to help you focus on that, on serving him during your time being unmarried. And then, of course, pray that he would guide you to find the right person in his timing. Some of you are praying that first and wondering why this person isn't coming, and yet the Lord might be saying to you today, maybe reorder your prayers just a little bit. I want you to have um, clear thinking. And for, for some of us who are speaking often to unmarried people, I just want to say on behalf of all single people everywhere that your jokes about singleness are entirely unhelpful. So resist the temptation, you know, the urge to be the inner comedian, and just don't say it. You know, you may, you may even think the single person thinks it's funny and can handle it, while inside this is something they're praying fervently about every day, and you're just making it worse. So just no more jokes, seriously, about single people and, and whether they're not finding a spouse for this reason or that. Maybe they're not even looking. Don't, don't treat your brothers and sisters as, as though they need to just get over it. That's not the loving thing to do. Alright, so pray unceasingly. Second, focus carefully. Focus carefully. Remember what marriage is and what it's for. And when you do that, Know who you should be looking for in a potential spouse. And again, for those talking to the unmarried, remind them. Remind them of who they should be looking for in a spouse if the conversation is there. So focus carefully. And then thirdly, wait righteously. Wait righteously. Be aware of bitterness creeping into your own heart. If you're single and you, you want to be married and you're not yet married, guard against the anger and the, and the envy and the self-pity that could creep in and, and repent. Repent. Ask the Lord to reveal if there's sin in your heart over this issue. Avoid treating others as though, hey, it's easy for you to say you're married. That, that's just not going to be helpful for your own soul. Give, give others grace if they do hurt you in this area. They probably didn't mean it. Remember the words I read uh, of John MacArthur. He said, the best way to find the right person is to be the right person. Concentrate on your walk with Jesus Christ. Pray that God would mold you into the person that would be for someone else to marry. Cultivate a deep, sorry, cultivate and appreciate deep, meaningful friendships. I was reading something this week. It was just too long to bring this morning, but the, the idea was in our day and age, in our culture, 
loneliness is all that much more um, ready, you know, apparent. It's, it's because we're such an autonomous society, we withdraw and we, we spend far more time by ourselves than in previous generations or maybe even in other cultures around the world today where, where those who weren't married or aren't married still feel such a, a bond with those others in their life because they're together day in and day out doing life together. So I encourage you, if, if you're single, to make sure you have those deep, meaningful friendships. And if you're not single and you have single people in your life, which all of us do because we're all part of the family of God, let's include singles in our relationships, not exclude them because they're not married. Let's cultivate deep, meaningful friendships. And then lastly, as you wait righteously, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Find your rest in Him. I love what Mark said this morning. I love the the words of the songs that we sung. Tuck yourself in to Jesus. Whether married or not married, Jesus alone is our hope. When we look to the future with with our dreams and our desires, Jesus is the only one that satisfies the longing of our hearts. He is our lasting joy. He's our satisfaction. Jesus alone is the solid ground that we need. It's His love and His peace that needs to be the delightful song of our hearts. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we believe, help our unbelief, help all of us, whether married or single, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to to continue to have a proper biblical perspective of our own lives, of our own purpose, of what it means to live and breathe in this life to exalt you, to draw near to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, help us. Help us all to focus on Him above all else, on on every desire in this life. May it be subordinate to our desire to walk closely with Him. Lord, I pray for those in this room, particularly this morning, who are single. Lord, whether they are single and choosing to remain single, unmarried, and getting after with great fervency, serving you with all of their heart, and they have great contentment in their singleness, or whether there are some who are struggling, Lord, who long desire to be married. God, would you come alongside each and every one? Would you meet them where they're at this morning? Would you take your word and encourage their souls today? And would you cause their song to be the name of Jesus Christ above all else. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.